I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter number 2 today. And so we're talking about we're empowered by the Lord to advance, to take the gospel and see the church of Christ fulfill the mission of Christ in this broken and lost world. And so today we're going to look in Acts chapter 2. There's a lot of material to cover today and a long passage of scripture that I want us to hear together. And so if you open your Bible or follow along, I'll put the uh, scripture on the, on the um, PowerPoint and uh, encourage you to follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire were divided and appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages, the magnificent acts of God. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, that this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days. And they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know that he was delivered up according to God's determined plan 
and foreknowledge. You used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He, was both, he is both dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, He has been exalted to the right hand of God, has received from the Father the the promised Holy Spirit, poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will, re- you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord your God would call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. And so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about three thousand people were added to them amen isn't that a great passage of scripture father in heaven i pray that today you'd speak to our heart from your word and father i pray that today that we would understand the great truths that are taught here that our hearts would be encouraged and strengthened and father that we would respond in repentance and faith obedience turning from sin, confessing Christ, and receiving the gift that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. People like parties and festivals, don't they? And uh, it's, it's it's a great joy to be together and party and to celebrate with others and, and, and good things. This week, the whole city of Philadelphia was turned into a giant party because their team, after many, many, many years of never winning the Super Bowl, they, 
were celebrating their champions coming back and bringing that trophy to their city. This weekend was a celebration of a different sort that happened in St. Louis and other cities in New Orleans. And what's it called? Mardi what? Mardi Gras. I, and I hope you all weren't there. And so anyway, uh, and in this great festival or party, it's, it's really about reveling, but it turns into often drunken debauchery. And then what happens is they're getting ready and prepared in this grand party and debauchery and drunkenness for many and revelry. And then this week will be Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, Will they go to church, get ashes on your forehead, and start a time of thinking about repentance and denying yourself something, anticipating the coming of Holy Week and the death of Christ and the celebration of Easter and his resurrection? That's on the church calendar. But you know what? I think what God's looking for is those who will celebrate in who God is and what he's done for us. Amen? In the nation of Israel, there were three important festivals that should be celebrated every year. And Jews were called to come to Jerusalem and celebrate in those great festivals. Among them is the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks happens after Passover, 50 days after Passover, about seven weeks from the first barley sheaf being harvested to the coming of the full harvest seven weeks later. And so the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost, where does that come from? That comes from the Greek-speaking Jews who talked about 50 days. And it's 50 days past Sabbath, the uh, Passover Sabbath day. And that marks the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. And so 50 days. And so it was a celebration that God had given them in the Old Testament to come together. And so the city was filled with people from all over the known world, Jews, that had been dispersed in ancient times or recent times because of business or because of trial and difficulty and persecution. And they make their way back to Jerusalem. Some have traveled hundreds of miles. They've brought with them their family. They've brought with them food and supplies. There's probably not enough room for them in the city. So they build little makeshift huts and tents and uh, lean-to places for them to dwell. And the city is filled with Jews from all over the world. And on this day, uh, as a matter of fact, there's a list of some of those different places they're from. I think I have a map here. Now, I'm, I'm going to use this screen. Some of you on this side will have a harder time seeing the screen. But I'm going to point out where some of them were from. Notice uh, this little pointer. Here's Jerusalem here. And so it says there were people from, Media, uh, from, from the Medes and Elam and Mesopotamia and then Judea right here where Jerusalem is at. And then notice there are folks, there are Jews from Cappadocia and Pontus and Phrygia and Pamphylia. Can you all see that? All right. And so they're all over. This is, this is modern day Turkey. And then 
there are not only folks from there, but from Egypt and Cyrene. And then it says there are even Jews came from Rome, way over here in Italy, made their way by sea all the way over here to Jerusalem. And not only that, there were Jews from Crete and even Arab uh, Arabia that came to Jerusalem. So he's crisscrossing all of the known Roman Empire and saying there were Jews coming from all of these places and they filled Jerusalem. Now they've lived there long enough while they may speak Hebrew or they may speak Aramaic and many would speak Koine Greek. They would have their own dialects and languages that was their home tongue that they would speak And so when they come to Jerusalem, there were people speaking from all different kinds of places and different empires. So notice what happens. And if you look with me in the passage of Scripture, Pentecost had arrived, and all of these people are there, and God moves powerfully, and His Spirit falls upon these disciples, and they begin to speak with Uh, Even though they're all Galileans, they're speaking, and those from other countries hear how they're praising God in their own language. It's a miracle. And so that's the question that they ask. Now, as I look at this great passage today, there are three different questions that are found in it, and I want us to look at the first questions, and they're really two combined into one. Number one, question one, are not all these Galileans? Who was the one proclaiming? Most of them were from Galilee, and those were the early disciples and followers of Jesus. Now, where are they gathered? They're gathered in an upper room. They may be in the temple complex, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. It's not just the 11, but also there's at least 120 followers and believers of Christ that are gathered there. And then the question they ask is, how is it that we hear each one of us in our own language? Verse 7 and 8. And they were astounded, amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own language? Well, that's a great question. And so Peter begins to explain it to them. And so, first of all, the Bible tells us that it was a very special day. We've already talked about that. In Deuteronomy 16, it says, All your males are to appear before me three times a year before the Lord your God in a place that he chooses at a festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. No one's to appear before the Lord empty-handed. So it's a great feast, a great festival. And so it was a very special day. It says everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. So first of all, it's a special day. Secondly, notice what happens, the sound in verse 2. It's an amazing thing that happens on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly, what's it say? A sound like what? Are you all awake this morning? The sound of what? Violent, rushing wind. It doesn't say it was wind. It says it was the sound of wind. And so they hear the sound of this wind blowing among them. And suddenly it's like a violent rushing wind from heaven. 
and the sound fills the whole house. Hmm. You know, it reminds me in 2 Samuel chapter number 5 about when the Lord was speaking to, to Israel and he said, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, act decisively, for then the Lord will have marched out ahead of you to attack the camp of the Philistines. He's saying that when you hear the sound of the wind blowing, know that God's presence is going before you. Wind was, it symbolized the very presence of Almighty God. Psalm 104, verse 3 and 4 says, Laying the beams of his palace on the waters above, making the clouds his chariot, walking on the wings of the wind. Verse 4, and making the winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. It's a symbol, of, it's, a, it's, a, it's the presence of Almighty God. You all know the story in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel's the prophet of God and God brings, oh Ezekiel, it's a time when Israel has been devastated. They have been defeated, they've been dispersed, and they are devastated. The nation is completely and utterly defeated. And God takes Ezekiel in a vision. And he takes him to a valley. Are you all familiar with this story? And in this valley, what is there? Bones scattered all over the floor of the valley. And they were very dry and very dead. Sounds like a lot of Baptist churches to me. And God asked him, Ezekiel, a question. What was the question he asked? Tom, what's the question? Can these bones live? And what's Ezekiel say? Only you know, Lord. You know. Now, stay with me. So he said, I want you to preach to whom? The bones. Guarantee you he's a Baptist preacher now. <laughs> Preach to the bones. But God, they're dead. They're dry. They, they're unorganized. They are definitely Baptists. And he preaches to the bones. And what happens? The bones gather together. Bone to bone. Right bone to right bone. Hip bone to thigh bone. It's, it's the... the, the and then what happens? Flesh begins to grow. And the meat, and then the skin on the bones. And they look, they look alive. They're not bones. They look, but they're not alive. And he says, they don't have any breath in them. And then he said, preach to the breath. Look with me, verse 9. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, the word breath there is ruach. It is also the word that is used for spirit. Breath, come from your four winds and breathe into these slain that they might live, they may live. Next verse. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are a whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is perished, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says, I'm going to open your graves, bring you up from them, my people, and lead you to the land of Israel. And you will know that I am Yahweh, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And I will pour out my spirit, my breath, and you will live and you'll settle. I will settle you in your own land and you will know that I am Yahweh, the Lord, and I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. He's nothing is too difficult for me. And God is doing a powerful thing. He, it's, it's, it's the sound of his presence, his wind blowing. These 120 disciples had lost their Savior. He had died on a cross. They had seen him raised from the dead, yet he's ascended to the Father. And they're devastated. What is my life going to be? But on this day of Pentecost, the wind of God blew and this 120 came a mighty army that would change the world. You can have all the organization that you want in a church, but if the Spirit of God's not blowing in that church, it will be empty and dry. God in heaven, do it in our lives. Amen? And that's the sound that this multitude of people heard on that day. Not only was there the sound, but there was the sight that they saw. And the tongues like flames of fire, they, they, these tongues appear. And um, <clears throat> in verse number three, and they were divided and appeared to them and rested on each one of them. There was not only the sound of the wind, but the sight they saw, what appeared to be flames. And as you look at a flame burning, they're like tongues that come up from the fire. And those tongues were divided. And when you looked, you saw above resting on each one of the disciples like a tongue of fire. This is emblematic, again, of the presence and the power of God on these disciples. Fire represented God's power. God's presence, God's judgment, and God's cleansing. A story, again, I want to tell from the Old Testament. You remember the story of the prophet Elijah. And you remember that God used Elijah to preach to the northern tribes, to Samaria. And you remember this king, he was, um, he was a godless king in so many ways. And his name was Ahab. Do you remember? And what did Ahab married a notorious Sidonese woman who was a worshiper of false gods? Does anybody remember her name? Jezebel. And Jezebel hated the prophets of Yahweh. And so she marries Ahab. She turns Ahab's heart even further away from God. She kills and persecutes many of the prophets of God. And because of her sinfulness and Ahab's sinfulness, the prophet of God, the man of God, Elijah, 
prophesies that there will be a famine in the land, and it's devastating famine. You know the story. And, and so, after months of devastating famine, he calls for a meeting, a summit, on Mount Carmel. And on Mount Carmel, he says, I will meet you there. You bring your prophets, and I'll come alone, and let's see who really is God. And Ahab shows up, and 850 prophets of Baal. And these 850 false prophets show up, and here's Elijah. And he says, here's what we're going to do. You build your altar, you stack up your wood, and you arrange your sacrifice, your animal on the sacrifice, and then you pray and you call, but don't put any fire to the wood, and let's just see if your God answers by fire. And then I'll do the same. And let's see which God answers by fire. You remember the story, don't you? So those prophets make it and they prepare the sacrifice and they begin to pray and then they begin to chant and then they begin to call on, on, on their gods and there's no fire that ever comes. And then they keep on and finally they're, they're hurting themselves, beating themselves, crying out, never happens. So finally, when they're done, and by the way, the prophet taunts them. He says, well, boys, maybe you need to speak a little louder. He might not hear you. He might have gone on a trip. But he keeps, but nothing happens. Finally, it's his turn. He said, guys, he says, I got the altar and I got the wood. And he arranges 12 stones, remembering the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes. And he says, I want to dig a trench. So he digs a trench that goes all the way around the wood. And he says, now I want you to get water. And they soak the wood with water until it's drenched and the trench is filled up. And he said, God, would you show yourself? God, will you show who you are and answer? And fire falls out of heaven and consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, consumes all the water and even the dust that's on the ground. And all the people said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Let me tell you, on the day of Pentecost, not only was there the sound of wind, but the very fire of God was on the people. And everybody knew that the hand of God was in that place. Amen? Oh, God, might you do that again in us. It's the coming the coming of the fulfillment that Jesus had promised, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon his church. Amen. I already told the story, so we'll just move on. Next, the Spirit. In John 20, uh, verse number 4, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, languages. John 20, verse 22, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus does this after the resurrection, but we see its its fulfillment in a very powerful way in the book of Acts. Chapter number 4, verse number 8, Acts. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to the rulers of the people and the elders, notice he's filled up. God's Spirit 
has filled, when the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, it filled, filled the disciples. That means to the full capacity that they could receive the presence of God, he filled them up. Peter preached filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse number 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. And, and, be, and, began to speak. and so we see the filling of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, we see the outpouring of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, and the result is the filling of the Spirit in these disciples. In chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, and don't get drunk with wine that leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. God wants us to be filled with His Spirit. Understand, the Lord Jesus has poured out His Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who've received Christ, we are received His Spirit into our life, but we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by Him and used by Him. Amen? Amen. Next slide, please. The speech, it was the tongues. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability to speak. Notice in verse number 5, there were Jews from Jerusalem, devout men from every nation. They hear the sound and they came together. And they were confused because they heard him speaking in their own language. I've already read this passage, so we're going to skip some of these slides. But I, no, <clears throat> Great. They, but here's the thing. It was, it was a miracle. Not only a miracle of speaking, but in a way a, very, a miracle of hearing. And they hear God speaking. And they hear God's Word. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. An observation about these tongues, I just want to say. First of all, it's not a permanent gift for missions because the disciples didn't go around when they started churches speaking in tongues so that everybody could understand them in their language. That was not the gift. They used the Greek that they knew or the Latin that they knew, uh, the Italian they knew, the Aramaic they knew to speak the gospel. Secondly, it wasn't for instruction, but it was for praise. They were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. And it served as a sign of the arrival of a new age and the power of God. It says they begin to utter. It's an unusual word. It was, it was used in the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was elevated prophetic speech. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with tongues, and men heard it in their own language. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, speaking in an ecstatic language is not the same as being filled with the Holy Spirit. But we're to be filled with the very presence of Almighty God. Amen? Amen.
The second question that is asked, what could this mean? So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? First of all, notice what Peter does. If you have your Bible, look with me. Peter begins to explain to them what they're witnessing and what does it mean. He says, first of all, these men are not drunk. They accused him. They said, could they be full of new wine? He says, no, it's still early in the morning and they're not drunk. That's not what's going on. He says, verse 16, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So he says, this is that that Joel prophesied of. Now, in verse number 17, it says, In the last days, and that we've entered into these last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, all humanity. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men dream dreams. Next slide. I'll even pour out my spirit on male and female slaves. Even slaves will prophesy. I'll display wonders in the heavens above, signs the earth below, blood, below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. And then at the end of the last days, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the terrible day of the Lord comes. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He said, what you're seeing is what God prophesied through the prophet of Joel. What you're seeing is God is fulfilling his plan and his purpose. Secondly, it's not only fulfilled in prophecy, it's fulfilled in a person, Jesus the Nazarene. Now notice, he speaks about the, the life of Jesus. He said, this Jesus of Nazareth was pointed out to you with miracles and wonders and signs, just as you yourselves know. He says, he is the fulfillment. He died for you. He was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. You use lawless men to nail him to a cross and commit it and, and kill him. What he's saying is, listen closely. Jesus Nazarene was attested to you as a miracle worker and signs. He was proven that he was God's son. But you murdered him. But God was carrying out, even though you did your worst to him, God was doing his best for us. He was delivering his son so that we might be saved. Wow. He says fulfillment is found in Jesus. In he was, his death and his resurrection. Verse 24, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it's not possible for, for him to be held by it. Amen. It's a fulfillment of purpose. God's whole plan and purpose is being fulfilled. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's received of the Father the gift that Christ promised us, and he has poured out his Holy Spirit, and you're witnesses of this. And this is what you see in here, verse 33. Next slide, please. For it's not David who ascended into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty, God has made this Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, whom you crucified. 
He brings the blame right back to them. You're accountable for killing the very Son of God. Well, what's the next question that they ask? What shall we do? That brings us right to response today. So what should we do? Here's what Peter says. Next slide. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent from sin. What does repentance mean? It means there's a deep sorrow in your heart about sin. How many of y'all have ever sinned in your life? Raise your hand. We all have. Are you sorry about it? Are you convicted? It says they were pricked. They were pierced. They were besides themselves with conviction that they had sinned against holy God. They saw in the preaching of Peter that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was prophesied, that Jesus was attested to by good works and signs, that Jesus died at their hands, that Jesus died for our sins, but that we are responsible for his murder, that Jesus is risen again, that Jesus has ascended to heaven, and that Jesus sits on the throne. And they saw it. And they're con- they're, they said, what must we do? And he said, repent. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. It's turning. It's, 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 not, it's not just believing the facts. It's the change in your heart of turning from sin and trusting in Christ. Please listen to me today. Unless you repent... You shall all likewise perish. Jesus preached repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You cannot be saved if you won't repent of your sin. Well, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want. That's not repentance. It also means trust in Christ. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, Peter preaches in Acts 3. So your sins may be wiped out and seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Secondly, be baptized. Baptized how? In Jesus' name. Why? Why? That means in everything, the character of Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus did for you. Your confession is through your mouth and believer's baptism. And when you confess that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Baptism, the rite of baptism, doesn't save you without confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. You must confess him as the Lord of your life. But you cannot confess Christ and refuse to be baptized. It is the first fruits of that very confession. Woven together is baptism and salvation. 
Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus does. But I'm telling you, every born-again believer will be baptized and must be baptized. Unless you are somehow prevented, you must be baptized. All of us. It's a picture of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. It's a picture of our burial to our old life and the raising to a new life. You be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive life in you. Amen. What's the greatest gift you ever got? Did you receive it? You know what? Something's getting ready to happen at our house, Jim. Lindsay's going to get married. This week, Christy and Lindsay were making wedding plans. She was in town all week. And so they were making wedding plans. I felt a giant sucking sound coming out of my wallet (laughs) as they were doing these things. They've got the place, they've got the venue, they've got the baker, they've got the flowers, they've got the dress, oh my, the dress, we, all these things. I mean, I'm just going ching, 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 this is not good. So anyway, but it is good. And in this day in July, coming up this year, I will have the privilege to walk down the aisle with my daughter on my arm. And I will stand there with her. And in that service, whoever's doing the first part of the service will say what marriage and wedding is all about and the importance of this commitment before God. And then he'll say, who gives? this bride, to be married. Now, I'll try not to cry because God gave her to me in a hospital in Joliet, Illinois, 30-some years ago. And she was a precious girl that we raised and nurtured and cared for and put through school and paid for and paid for and paid for and paid for. (laughs) And if the God gives me the spirit and the courage, and knowing the fear of Christy, I probably will say, her mother and I, and I will take her hand, and I will put it in Andrew Bowman's hand, and he will receive a precious gift. And when you receive and obey and repent and confess Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit in your life. And that gift is eternal and precious. It's the very presence of Christ in you. So let's live for the one 
who gave his life for us. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the truths. I thank you for how you, in great outpouring of your spirit on Pentecost, empowered the church of Jesus Christ. How you miraculously brought people to salvation from all over the Roman world on that great day. God, how you've shown yourself to us. I pray that today, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, today they give their heart and life to him and be saved. Have your way in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. You come. Let the Lord have his way.